in the book of Genesis. I'm going to read this morning the last few verses from chapter 50. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Last week... John Wooden passed away. He was a former UCLA basketball coach. He died at age 99, a life well lived. But his greatest contribution was not the fact that he won so many games, though he was the greatest college basketball coach ever, but it was the lives he impacted along the way. He was known for many wise sayings, including ones like this. Talent is God-given. Be humble. Fame is man-given. Be grateful. Conceit is self-given. Be careful. (laughs) And many others. He just had a heart to impact people right up to the end. Even as he weakened with age, he continued to be a mentor to many men, including coaches and former players of his. He lived well with integrity right up to the end. His beloved wife, Nell, died in 1985, 25 years ago. But every month on the 21st, he would write her a love letter, leave it on the nightstand, because he continued to be committed to her and his love 
for her. The day he died, he said, please shave me because today I get to see Nell and I want to look good for her. (laughs) You see, he finished well. Many of you know Claudia Melhoff, her father Wendell Grout has been here last time he was here. We were talking and he said to me with a tear in his eye, he said, just pray for me that I would finish well. This year he turned 80. He's continuing to mentor men to teach the word wherever he can. He teaches every year at Cannon Beach Conference Center and continues to finish well. I hope that's the cry of your heart. It is of mine, that I would finish well. Whether you've got 50 years left or 60 or one year or one week, I hope the desire of your heart is that my life would count, that I would finish well. Well, today we come to the finish, to the end of the book of Genesis. You've persevered with us for almost two years as we've worked through this book from beginning to end. And in this final section of the book, we come to the end of two lives, Joseph and Jacob, two men whose lives dominated this last half of the book of Genesis. We've learned a lot about them, more about them perhaps than any other characters in the Scriptures almost. And as they finish... I think there's wonderful truths here for helping us to think about what it means for us to finish well. So let's pray and we'll look at the text together. Lord, as we look together in your word, may your spirit open the minds and the hearts of every one of us. And may we learn today what it means to finish well and may we apply it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, we want to look at Jacob and a particular challenge to us, a challenge that makes it hard sometimes for us to finish well. And this is the challenge of failure. So let's look together at Jacob's life. Now, think about Jacob. We've seen a lot about his life. Again, we know a whole lot about Jacob. His name, Jacob, means heel grasper or deceiver because that reflected his character. That's who he was. He was one that throughout his life, he continued to be a deceiver, a manipulator, to do what he could to get what he wanted out of life. He stole his brother Esau's birthright. He lied and deceived his father. Lied to and deceived his father. He controlled everything he could. He tried to protect himself every place he went. He, he uh, favored one wife over another, which caused all kinds of problems. He favored Rachel over Leah. He favored his two youngest sons over the others, and that favoritism caused hatred and division in the family. He was, as we think about this Father's Day, a terrible father in many ways. He made a real mess of his family. He was a failure. Many of you, as you look at your own lives, feel like Jacob. 
you feel like you've made a mess of your life, that you've made choices along the way to choose sin against God and against others, and you've done damage and you've done harm, and, oh, you may be going through the motions of living the Christian life, but at the core of who you are, you feel like your failure, your sin has defined you. I know there's some of you here that feel that way. Maybe you've failed as a parent or a child or you've struggled with past sin or maybe present sin that you continue to struggle with and you feel, therefore, you've been put on a shelf, that you're too much of a mess, that God can't use you, that you cannot finish well. Like Bill, that's not his real name, but man I know who made some bad choices as a young man, did a lot of damage to his family, to himself. It was really blatant, selfish sin. But now he feels like that past haunts him all the time, that it defines who he is, deep in the core of who he is. And he feels like God cannot really use him. So my question for you is, is it possible to get beyond that? To finish well? And I want to say, yes, it is possible. It is. You see, Jacob finishes well after all his failure. Back in chapter 49, in the last few verses of that chapter, we see how he finishes well. Verse 28, it says, All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father, Jacob, said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, every one, with the blessing appropriate to him. Now, you looked at the blessings last week, as Mark Matthews taught. But I want to highlight what it says there. It says, At the end of his life, what he did is he took these sons that he'd favored two and neglected the others, but he studied each one. He knew them well, and he gave them each a blessing appropriate to them. And then he goes on to tell them, Bury me in the cave that's in the field of Machpelah. Bury me with my fathers in the cave which Abraham bought along with the field from Ephron the Hittite for a burial site. There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah, and there they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah, and there I buried Leah. Bury me there. And he finished charging his sons, drew his feet into the bed, and breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. In the end, after all the problems and the mistakes that Jacob made, I think he finished well. He blessed his sons. He pointed them to the God who was God over all. And he said, take me to the cave and bury me in that place, the promised land, where Abraham bought a cave to establish our foothold in the land. The promised land that God will bring us back to. God will bring us back. Take me there. Dig in the ground. Put me in it as a reminder to you, all my sons, that God is faithful, that He keeps His promises. You see, in the end of his life, despite all his failures, Jacob finished well because he blessed his sons and he pointed them to the promises of God. He pointed them to trusting who God was. He pointed them to the fact that they were part of a larger story the big picture of God. God is at work in this world and He is going to work out His plan and you can trust Him. Therefore, walk with Him. 
he finished well. And so as we think about our lives finishing well, that's a picture for us maybe of what our lives can be. Is our life, no matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, is our life a blessing to others? Do we seek to bless others, to point them to God and His promises, His faithfulness? Do we point people to trust Him with their lives? If you're doing that, you're finishing well, like Jacob did. And we won't take time to read it, but I urge you to read chapter 50, the first 13 verses, as you see this wonderful funeral procession, fabulously huge funeral procession, as the Egyptians all gather and they take Jacob back to the land of Canaan. So that the Canaanites say, wow, this is huge. They renamed the place because there was this huge funeral and mourning over Jacob. You see, God honors him right to the end. Why? Because he finished well. Now, that raises the question for us. After Jacob messed up his life so much, my question is, how did he get to a place of finishing well? How did he get there? What, what changed about him? Because all his life he'd been controlling and manipulative. How did he finish well? Well, there's a couple of hints in this text. Number one, remember, he favored his two younger sons over the rest. But God had made it clear that the chosen one of his sons was Judah. He was the one that, from whom Messiah would be descended. He was the chosen one of God. But all his life, Jacob kept saying, no, I like Joseph. I like Benjamin. They're my youngest. I favor them. But in the end, in the blessings you looked at last week, whom did Jacob give the primary blessing to? Who did he pass the scepter to? It was Judah. It was Judah. You see, in the end, he finally said, yeah, I favored these, but... God, I submit to the one that you favor. And there's another hint in this passage as, remember, he favored Rachel, his wife Rachel, all the way through. Leah was God's chosen, the one through whom Judah would be born and the line would come, his first wife. But no, he liked Rachel best. But in the end, what does he say to his sons? Bury me in the cave where Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, and Leah are buried. Bury me with Leah, not with Rachel. What's he saying? He finally learned that though his choice was Rachel, God's choice was Leah, and so he finally submitted his will to him. You see, if you're like Jacob and you feel like, all along my life, I've made the wrong choices. I've been in control. I've done my own thing. The secret to finishing well is to do what Jacob did, which was finally to submit your will to him and essentially say, I choose what you choose, not what I choose. Not my will, but yours be done. Bury me with Leah. Bury me with Leah. You want to make a difference and finish well? It doesn't matter what you've done in your life or how messed up you've made your life. 
God is pleading, come to me and experience my forgiveness. And just from today on, submit your will to me. Let go of your agenda and trust me. And just say to me, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. Bury me with Leah. That's the secret of finishing well if you're a Jacob. How about if you're a Joseph? Think about Joseph's life. Joseph was one who was a 17-year-old because he was so hated by his brothers. They wanted to kill him. They threw him in a pit hoping he would die. But then they thought, well, we can make some money off him. So they sold him to some traders and they went off to Egypt and he was hated by them. Then he gets to Egypt and he gets, becomes a slave to Potiphar. He lives as a slave. He gets Potiphar's wife who harasses him sexually over time and keeps trying to get him to give in to her seducing but he refuses to, and finally she accuses him falsely, and he gets thrown in jail for many years and mistreated there. There he tries to do good, and he gets mistreated again. He helps the cup bearer and the baker, but they forget about him, and he's left to rot in prison for even longer. Now eventually he ends up as the right-hand man to Pharaoh himself, but think about his life. You see, this is the challenge of woundedness. Like Joseph, there's many of us here in this room who have been through some really hard things. People have wounded us deeply. We can identify with Joseph. We've had wrongs done to us that we didn't deserve. We've been emotionally physically, verbally, sexually abused. We've been treated unjustly. We have not been loved like we should have been. And we can begin to think that our wounds define us. Because of what's been done to me, I am damaged goods and I, I'm just trying to survive until God comes back. Or until I go be with him. But finish well, you're asking way too much of me. Like Sarah, again, not her real name, who grew up under a mean and critical father, suffered at his hands. Now she feels so wounded, she feels like she can't offer anything to others. She's just damaged goods. She wants to offer more deep down, but she's afraid. She's terrified of being vulnerable, of giving of herself. Is it really possible for Sarah or for you to finish well and to really have an impact and make a difference with the rest of your life? And my answer to you is yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Again, look at Joseph who was terribly abused and rejected and hated and yet, at the end of his life, the passage Terry just read, you see how he lived to 110 years. He saw the third generation of his sons. And at the end of his life, he challenged his brothers, the very brothers who had harmed him. And he said, take, when you leave here, when God keeps his promises 
and we leave Egypt. He didn't know it was over 300 years later. But when God takes us up from here and keeps His promises, carry my bones and know that God will take care of you. Again, He points them to trust God. You see, He finished well. He challenged them to trust God. And that, again, is finishing well, pointing people to to trust Him, to trust the God who created us, who made us, and who is at work in all that we are doing. Like Jacob, Joseph helps his brothers see that they're part of God's bigger story. God is doing far more than just what you experience. And your pain does not define reality for you. It doesn't have to. He finishes well. So how did he get there? Again, that's a good question. How do we overcome this sense of woundedness that seems to bind us and hold us back from using our lives and who we are for the kingdom of God? How did Joseph get there? Well, the key is in verses 19 through 21. Now remember that now Jacob is dead. The father is dead. And the brothers are terrified. (laughs) They're thinking, oh no, dad's gone. Now Joseph is really going to get back at us after what we did to him. And so they make up a story. It's not true. But they make it up and say, oh, by the way, dad said before he died that you need to forgive us. And you need to take care of us and be kind to us. And because they were terrified of what he might do. But notice what he does. In verse 19, he says, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me. Let's stop there for a second. Notice what he says. By the way, I know you meant evil against me. It's stronger than NIV intended to harm me. You meant evil, is what it says, literally. Sometimes when we've been deeply wounded, we try to minimize it and excuse what people have done to us. Well, you know, they came from a bad family themselves and they didn't really know what they're doing. No, Joseph doesn't do that. He doesn't minimize. He says, by the way, what you intended was evil against me. Call a spade a spade. I think it's healthy if you want to get beyond your woundedness to just call it what it is. Yeah, people did evil to me. He or she or whomever did evil to me. But as we go on, we see that Joseph has learned two important truths about God that have allowed him to get beyond his woundedness. And these two truths are the key truths for any of us to get beyond our woundedness so we can be used of God and finish well. Two things about God. Two truths of theology. Now, some of you hear the word theology and you kind of shut down. (laughs) Theology, that's for professors and scholars and pastors, but not for me. Well, do you understand that theology is simply what you believe about God? It's truth about God. And your theology, your view of God, will determine the quality of your life. Let me say that again because it's so key. Your theology, your view of God, will determine the quality of your life. Do you want to have a good life? 
then you need to have a proper theology, a proper understanding of God. And let me just challenge you. (laughs) The only way to get that is to be in the Word, to be reading it every day so that God can begin to change your thinking. Read it and say, God, please reveal yourself to me. Help me see you accurately because every one of us have a twisted perverted view of God. We don't see Him clearly and we need God to change our thinking if we are going to have a quality life like we all long for. It's vital that we know God well and truthfully and accurately so we can handle our wounds well. So what two things has Joseph learned about God that transformed his life and allowed him to forgive and let go and move on. The first great truth is that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He is in control. Notice what he says in verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it. Again, let's stop there. Wait a minute. These brothers came at him and tried to kill him and sold him and treated him horribly and They intended it. And he says, yeah, you intended it, but God meant it for something else. God was at work in it. God was sovereign. We need to understand that God is sovereign and that the things that people have done to us are not outside of God's redemptive hand and his power to control and to change and to redeem. Now, does God cause evil? No. But He works it into His plan for our good. God is sovereign. Unless we fully believe that, we will continue to struggle with our woundedness and we will not be able to get beyond it. You want to get beyond your woundedness? Then you need to see that He is in control. He is sovereign. And that man's sin against us It's simply an opportunity for God to begin to work and bring life and redemption out of it. John Piper says something interesting. He's coming from a little different point of view, but it's helpful, I think, in an article called Don't Waste Your Cancer. Now, this is sin against us, but it's something we experience, cancer. He wrote this as he was facing prostate cancer surgery himself. And he says this, You will waste your cancer if you do not believe it is designed for you by God. You will waste your cancer if you do not believe that it is designed for you by God. (sighs) Heavy words, huh? He goes on to say, It will not do to say that God only uses our cancer but does not design it. What God permits, He permits for a reason. And that reason is His design. If you don't believe your cancer is designed for you by God, you will waste it. Again, he doesn't cause it, but he has a plan in what you're going through. Maybe the evil that happened to you or the cancer you're struggling with or whatever it might be, that God has a bigger plan in it and he is sovereign and nothing is outside of his control. The second great theological truth that Joseph hung on to that allowed him to get beyond his woundedness was that God is good. These always have to go together. You can't separate them. God is sovereign, but he's also 
good. Again, notice what he says. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. God intended it for good. God is good. More than being sovereign, he is good. He works all things together for good. He loves us and is working things out for our good and for the good of others. As Joseph says here, God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. God uses things for good, whatever it is. Even the evils that people do against us, God wants to redeem it as we submit our lives to him and use it to bring life to many. In Joseph's case, the whole known world was saved because of what God did through Joseph. God wants to use what you go through to bring life to others. It's a mystery how he does that. You may not even see how he does that in the long run, but if you can hang on to two great truths, God is sovereign and God is good, then you can finish well no matter what's happened to you. And if you struggle with, God doesn't seem good to me, how could he allow what's happened to me? Well, understand that the key to really knowing that God's good no matter what is the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus took all evil on himself. You've experienced evil. He took that evil on himself. He took the punishment on himself. He stepped in to our world and took that punishment to prove forever that no matter what you go through, he is love and you can trust him that what he does is good for you. What this means is God is good. That's a truth. But if you sometimes don't think that God is good or don't feel like God is good, and then we all get there, myself included, if you don't think God is good or feel God is good, the problem is not with God. The problem is, is, is with our perspective. And our feelings. And we need to trust the proof that God gave us on the cross that he is good more than our perspectives or our feelings. You want to get beyond your woundedness and finish well? Then cling to these great truths. God is sovereign. He's at work. He's in control. And he is good. And he wants to bring life in the midst of what feels like death. John Wooden the players who played with him, overwhelmingly, I heard lots of interviews, said, you know, what was most important is not what I learned on the basketball court, but what I learned about life from him. He taught them about living life. He was a true mentor. As you think about finishing well, as you begin to trust God more and submit your life to him like Jacob did, not my will, but yours be done. As you begin to cling to God's sovereignty and his goodness like Joseph did and to get beyond your woundedness, to finish well, I want to challenge you today. Again, whether you have 50 years or 60 years or one year or one week, that you would use the rest of your life for the kingdom of God, to have an impact for the kingdom of God. Now, I, 
I talk to men regularly and women at times about retirement and how they look at retirement. And I hear often, you know, I just can't wait to play golf, to go fishing whenever I want, to travel, to shop, (laughs) to redecorate my house, (laughs) to garden. You know, there's things we think, Oh, if I, could, I can't wait till I retire till I do this. I can just be selfish now. Well, let me challenge you that God has a greater purpose. There's a bigger kingdom to live for. Let me challenge you to use whatever years you have left to impact others for the kingdom of God. There's only two things that are going to last, folks, past this life. The Word of God and people. So invest your life in the Word of God and in people and make the rest of your life count so that you might finish well. I just want to end with a story. There was a man who was elderly gentleman who decided he wanted, he kind of saw some boys that were running around at, around their church and kind of causing problems. Several of them were from broken homes. He decided to gather them together and begin to teach a Sunday school class. But he not only taught them in a class and began to teach them the Word, but he he began to invest in their lives. And not just one year, but several years, he invested himself in them and just loved these boys. Every one of those boys ended up in ministry of some kind later in life. Broken homes, they're a mess. One of them from a broken home that was really, really a mess is a man named Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks went on to be a professor at Dallas Seminary. And because he had been invested in by that man, he made it his goal for the rest of his life to invest in other men, just to pour his life into them. And he invested in people like Ray Steadman and Chuck Swindoll and David Roper, who pastored here. David Roper caught that vision for pouring his life into others. And when he was a college pastor, poured his life into a young Stanford student named Brian Morgan. Brian Morgan caught that vision of investing in his life in others. And he invested in life, his life in a, another young college student named Jackson Kramer. And now I get the privilege of investing my life in others. But it all began with one elderly gentleman who said, I want to make my life count. I want to mentor these young men who mentored others, who mentored others, who mentored others. Folks, we have a tremendous privilege. And I I don't care how old you are. I don't care how tired you are. God wants to use you. Find somebody to invest your life in to make a difference for the kingdom of God, that you might finish well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jacob and Joseph. We can identify with them. We feel often like failures and so wounded, but thank you that we don't have to let that define us. Help us know you in a way that allows us to submit our lives to you as one who is sovereign and one who is good. That our lives might count for the kingdom, that we might finish well. 
We pray in Jesus' name, who died for us to set us free. Amen.